Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. This past Sunday, for the final sermon in her Choose Your Own Adventure series, Rev. Dr. Michelle preached about the story of Jacob's well from the Gospel of John. This week, the congregation was given the opportunity to vote on whose perspective the story was told from. This resulted in a different sermon at each service, and therefore, two separate podcasts. The sermon you are about to listen to is told from the perspective of the woman. That is what happens when we come to Scripture, too. We find in it all kinds of spaces for stories. And because each of us comes reading with different perspectives and understandings, we may take the story of Scripture in a different adventure. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to read to you this passage of the woman at the well, and then I'm going to tell you which direction we voted to go. So hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him in this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am. The one who speaks with you. Just then Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. 
She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, the votes are in, and you want to hear from the woman. So let's, let's just set this scene. A little bit more background on it. This woman is coming to this well, and she's coming at noon. And it's something that she would have had to do every day. They didn't have faucets that you could just turn on, right? You have to go find a source of water. Water is needed for all kinds of things in our lives. So it is a daily, at least once trip. In fact, a lot of times it was a twice a day trip. It was once in the morning and once in the evening. You skipped the heat of the day. Because you'd go to the well and you'd gather around and you'd visit with your friends. So she's coming in the middle of the day. She's, and that's significant for two reasons. One, symbolic. She's in contrast to Nicodemus. Right before this passage, we've seen Nicodemus come to Jesus at night. And now here is this woman coming in the middle of the day when the sun is at its brightest. But the other significant piece about that is that she's coming to deliberately avoid people. She doesn't want to run into community. And maybe it is because of this story that she has, that she is known by the fact that she's had five husbands and she's living with a sixth. And so maybe she would just rather avoid the conversations, the accusations, the words that will be used all around her. And yet, she's going to run into someone at the well. This man, this Jewish man, who had to go to Samaria? Did he, though? He actually didn't. It was pretty typical for Jews to avoid Samaria. But maybe he came to Samaria because this woman needed him. And because as the savior of the whole world, there are not geographic bounds to where he travels. Which leads us to the fact that there are a couple of different ways we can consider this woman. We can consider her as an individual, as a human woman with all of these challenges of community. Or we can consider her as a representation of Samaria. So it's time to vote again. Get out your... Bulletin, look at the one that's vote two and three, scan that QR code, and I'm going to tell you what your options are, because we didn't know which way direction you were going to go, so I'm going to have to feed you the option. If you choose option one, we're going to look at the woman as a real individual. If you choose option two, we're going to look at the woman as a symbol of Samaria. Option one, real individual. Option two, symbol of Samaria. All right, Brooke, what's our answer? Number one, we're going to consider her as a real individual. All right. So let's think about this. Let's think about the fact that she's avoiding these words. She's avoiding being pronounced this way. She's avoiding being defined in this way because people have not been kind to her. They have undoubtedly spread rumors. They have talked about her. They have maybe even accused her to her face about these 
five men that she's been married to and the sixth one that she's living with. But you know, there are all kinds of reasons that this woman may have ended up in this reality. She could be in the system of what's called leveret marriage. If you were married and, and your husband died, then the, bro- your, the husband's brother was supposed to marry you and still try to provide you an heir and try to help raise any heirs, right? So she may have been just passed down from brother to brother to brother because all of her husbands have died and maybe she's just just done with it and she's just with whoever at this point, right? She could have been infertile. She could have not been able to have children. And so that was grounds, good grounds in the ancient world for divorce. So when she was not having children, because there is no mention of children here. When she was not having children, maybe they divorced her and left her vulnerable and she had to get, find another man. Because you, you're vulnerable in the ancient world as a woman. If you don't have a man to take care of you, if you don't have a man to provide for you, you could be on the streets. You could end up having to go to prostitution or begging or any number of things like that. So maybe she's just surviving. Divorce, widowhood, any number of reasons that she could have ended up in this that have nothing to do with who she is. And yet, I I imagine people were filling in her story for her. Were saying who she was. Without even asking. Without even listening. Without even being present. And even if it were for some untoward reason, so what? Doesn't she still need community? Doesn't she still need love? Maybe if she had love, she would have other choices. And it's not just, you know, the people at the well that filled those in. Scholarship's done it to her too. Filled in story and made assumptions. John Calvin writes of her and said, well, obviously she was a difficult and disobedient wife. Right? Y'all, we are not Calvinists around here. We are Wesleyans, and there's a good reason for that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, but where are you getting that? Where are you getting that? They're, we're making assumptions. And yet Jesus, in encountering this woman, sees her for who she is and who she can be. He sees this sharp thinker, this deep theologian. She does a better job breaking down worship and scripture than anybody else in the Gospel of John with Jesus. Um, And he sees her as a potential evangelist. He sees in her that potential. And in fact, that puts her in contrast to many of the others that we see around her. It's decision time again. Get your thing back out. We're going to either refresh your screen from the previous or rescan our second vote. Well, it's vote number three. Option one is for us to consider what it's like to have people make assumptions about you. Option two is to compare the woman to Nicodemus and the disciples. So if you want to dig into what it's like to have assumptions made about you, choose one. Want to compare her to Nicodemus and the disciples? Choose two. Which option? Number two. We're going to compare her to Nicodemus and the disciples. So as Jesus has, in, has confronted this woman and seen what's in her, it stands in stark contrast to those that are around her, right? So we compare her to Nicodemus. We see these 
stark differences between the one who comes to her at na- comes to Jesus at night, right, under the cover of darkness, secretly, and the one who meets Jesus in the day, right out in the open where everyone can see. We see this different understanding of water. Nicodemus struggles to understand how water can be a profound and spiritual eternal life-giving place, he's, he's too locked into the physical reality of it. How, do you, how, how does this new birth happen? He wants to know how you get back in a mother's womb, right? How does all of that happen? Whereas when he talks about living water, she jumps on it. How do I get this water? How can I drink of it? How can I, how can I have more of what's happening, right? We have this trained theologian. He's a Pharisee. He should be the one who's really good at interpreting Scripture, and she does him... This way and backwards, she, she, she runs circles around what Nicodemus had done. She is the, one of the best theologians we've got in Scripture. She can talk about the distinction of worship and what that means. She can go into this space of eternal life. She recognizes the Messiah when, when Nicodemus misses it. And Nicodemus quits talking. And she has the longest conversation with Jesus of anybody in the entire New Testament. She sees what is before her and the opportunity. Now, if we compare her to disciples, they are worried about boundaries. What is he doing talking to her? They don't say anything, but they are worried about it. Whereas she may raise that question, how can you ask it? A Jew asked this of me, a Samaritan. But she stays there and pushes past the boundaries herself. You might say that the, the disciples are status quo, and she is, this status has to go. <laughs> right? They are silent. Or, at times in the Gospels, try to silence Jesus. Whereas she spreads the word. She tells the story. This is, this is an unexpected story because she is untrained. And she is not one of the ones that has been mentored at the feet of Christ. And yet she gets it right away. She outpaces everyone in this story. She practically outpaces everyone in the Gospels. Because Jesus does not let... Those things that would define us, define us. Those things that society says are where our value is, Jesus looks past that and says, nah, you are so much more. So much more. And I see it. I see it in you. My friends, whose voice gets sidelined because they lack a pedigree? And yet they have great wisdom. I know you've encountered them. I know you have. My dad used to say that my grandmother was one of the wisest people he's ever met. Ever. She had an eighth grade education and she was a bootlegger. And my father, who also had his own adventures in education, learned so much from her. Not because of her pedigree, but because of who she was. The life she'd lived. The wisdom she had gained. There are people in this room that fit that story. 
And this church, in our welcome statement, lays claim to being a people who sees the way Jesus sees. Who says, you may be defined by your political party. You may be defined by the person that you're married to or not married to. Uh, You may be defined by your gender. You may be defined by your profession. There are lots of ways the world likes to put labels on us. But we're going to say those labels don't matter here because they didn't matter to Jesus. They didn't matter to Jesus. They don't matter to us. You come into this space. And when we're struggling to live into that, let's return to this scripture and remember. Remember that Jesus sees the value in all of us. The significance in all of us. The people that we can all be. And then let's look at everyone we meet with those eyes. And see. See who they truly are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.